Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, John Schwab here from Curtain Call, and welcome to episode 139 of the Curtain Call Theater Podcast, the podcast that brings you backstage as close as you possibly can be, often while the shows are actually happening, to meet the people that make that theater happen. Just a quick reminder that you can download and subscribe to the podcast from the Apple Podcast app or from iTunes. That way your feed will be automatically updated when we release episodes. But you can also listen to us on many other fine podcast streaming services such as Stitcher and Google Play and iHeartRadio. So uh, if you have a spare 30 seconds, please rate and review that podcast. That's our podcast. If you have, uh, you know, if you have that spare 30 seconds, help us reach more theater lovers out there around the globe. And now for this week's podcast. This week, uh, we get to talk to uh, another theater designer. I love sitting down with these professionals at the top of their game, and they are some of my favorite conversations, and this week's guest is no different. Richard Brooker has been involved in theater his entire life, and he, he didn't want to start out being on stage. It was an actor's life that he managed to dodge, uh, which is, you know, listen, that's a joke. I absolutely love my uh, my actor's life. The theater did call him, but he found out that that onstage life wasn't going to be his passion. He did other jobs in the business uh, on his way to finding out that sound was where he discovered a way to scratch his performance itch. So uh, he found himself working uh, on the new London theater production of Cats, yes, that one, and worked his way up to sound number one, and then he started mixing shows for about a dozen years before he started sound designing. And now he's one of the country's top sound designers, working on shows such as Dream Girls and The Bodyguard, Funny Girl, Bennett Like Beckham, Annie, West Side Story, Sister Act, many, 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 many more. I caught up with him at the get-in of How the Grinch Stole Christmas at the new Wimbledon Theater, uh, and I got to chat to him about his career, the difference a good and bad sound experience can be, uh, and how to get into the sound game if you're interested, among a plethora of other topics. So, have a listen. So it's first day of loading today, so yeah, so it's kind of slow and uh, sort of uh, carrying lots of heavy stuff around. Yeah. And, uh, not me, I hasten to add to it. <laughs> <laughs> I watch him, I'm watching them carry heavy stuff around. Well, you've got, to, you've got to a point in your career, haven't you, Richard? Exactly, you watch yeah. people. Yeah, exactly. Uh, although some would argue I'll probably never carry anything heavy. But, um, <laughs> no, but it's, yeah, so there's lots of people fighting over space in the auditorium right now over lighting and set and sound and whatever, so yeah. I love walking into a theatre and the get-in, walking through the bay doors. It was a hive of activity. It's mm. so... It's really... A, that, that, that's the initial point um, of everything kind of coming together for... Uh, a show they get in, which is God, there's a lot of people here as well. So yeah. there's a there, are four or five trucks on this. Show? Five trucks, I believe. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, five forty-five footers. So okay. yeah. So it's quite a big. Tour. And the producers love us talking about this. You yeah. Know? Is, yeah. Is, is, and this is just a quick stop. So this is so only here for like a few days. There's yeah. A Friday, so we're, Saturday, we're doing our production week here. So and then we have performances on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then the show moves on. So it's uh, this week's all about getting the show to a shape. Where, where we can present it to an audience and then, as I say, Friday's the first audience. Yeah. yeah. So tell me, um, we, met, uh, we met at a panel at Plaza. We did, um, we did. And uh, it was a fascinating pl- uh, panel because we, 
you know, you, you were just saying before we started recording that we don't often think about sound. Sound is one of those things where you, it's like you say, almost turn on and turn off, mm. you know, it's or turn up or yeah. turn down. Yeah. People are going to say, oh, it's not loud enough or it's too loud, but there's so much more to that. So mm. what was it? Let's, let, let me take you back if that's cool. What was it that got the, I don't know what it was, 12, 15, 18, 20 year old Richard Brooker mm -hmm. Like, how did theatre kind of envelop you in? Or was it, was it theatre? Was it live events? What got you no, into no, it was, sound? It was very much theatre. My family had already always been involved in uh, amateur theatre. Yeah. And uh, my uncle had taken that on to a professional level and he did musicals, but he was really an opera singer, so he was in Opera North. Mm. And, uh, and so I'd always been around theatre, even just uh, from an amateur point of view, and done youth theatre and so yeah. forth. And um, so at that stage in my life, when I was leaving school, what I really wanted to do, I thought, was be an actor. Right, uh, but I'd had enough of school. I didn't really enjoy school, so yeah. I didn't really want to go straight off to, to drama, drama school. school yeah. So I thought, well, I'll just do some stuff for a while, and uh, and I didn't have anything to do with theatre. I worked in various, you know, short-term jobs, and then I decided that if I was going to work in theatre, I should probably try and see if I liked that as an idea. So okay. I got a job um, as a follow spot operator ah. on um, Cats, actually. Uh, the New London Theatre and loved it, had a wow. great time. And so, so my first sort of foray into live professional theatre was lighting. Um, and I knew it wasn't really for me, mm -hmm. um, but, but I enjoyed the buzz of being around people and being in the space and, and like the hours and you know, the life. So I knew it was for me as a, as a way of life. Um, still thought I might like to be an actor. And I actually auditioned for a, a very low budget tour of a play that was based around World War I war poetry, so not really a comedy. <laughs> and got a, got a got a small role in that, and then it never happened. We even didn't even get to rehearsals. There was no budget and everything. And that was like for me was like I don't want to do that. Mm. I don't want to be an actor. I don't think. But yeah. I, but I still have a desire to perform in some way. And eventually and slowly I moved over into sound. And as soon as I got behind a sound desk and was mixing something live, I was like, that's it. That's the performance I need. That's all I need. I'm doing this live. I don't need to be on the stage at all. So that for me was the big changing point for me was like, I love sound, this is fascinating. And actually, harking back, if you go back into my teens, yeah. I was always messing around with amplifiers and speakers and things and hadn't really connected that as something that I might like to do. It was mm. just something I naturally did, like try and make that sound a bit nicer or whatever. So it, I kind of fell into it, but it was a very fortunate fall because it, it was right. I, I think it's great that you, it, it happens, it, it's, it always astonishes me the amount of people who said, oh, I wanted to, I started out in one, one part of it, or, or I, I wanted to be an actor, or I wanted to be a director or producer, mm. or, or, well, who wants to be a producer? <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> really. But, okay. uh, but, you know, I, I wanted to, to be a, a lighter, lighting designer, yeah. I wanted to design, but, yeah. and then it takes them a different way, and um, it, it's just important to find out what you don't want to do when you enter this yeah, business, as definitely. it is that you want to do, right? Yeah. How, and, and what was that first sound experience? Because you, you, you talked about mixing the desk, but what was it that just kind of really brought you around to sound? I don't know. I think, uh, as I say, there was, there was just a, a connection that, that I felt I could do. You know, like uh, there was a, uh, something in me that just, just, just felt like this. I, I can control this. Yeah. And, 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 and when I do, I get joy from that mm. and appear to make the right decisions that other people like as well. Because, you know, the thing about sound is it's really subjective because you can't see it and you can't point at it and you can't, you know, people's vocabulary about sound, understandably, is quite limited. Yeah. It's either turn it up, turn it down, it's too loud, it's too quiet. 
you know, and, and of course, whilst that makes sense in the broadest, the broadest sense of the words, turning it up or it down doesn't make any sense because mm. what is it? Mm. You know, it, it, it's, it's not normally a case of the whole thing is too loud or the whole thing is too quiet. And, and that's kind of one of the strangest things, I suppose. And, it's, and it is something that I find fascinating and I find frustrating about my job is that people outside of the sound world do find it very hard to express their emotions or their feelings or their criticisms or their comments about sound. Mm. And that, that means you've always got to overcome that, uh, that sort of barrier, first of all, before you can actually start discussing anything creatively. Um, and obviously I'm making a generalization. There are people who can discuss it, but, but, it's, but really a lot of people do have a very limited vocabulary about what they want to say about the sound. And so, um, you know, <sighs> People will come and see a show and they'll say, oh, I love the costumes, I love the set, I love the lighting. And they won't say anything about the sound. And that is, that's the compliment. Yeah. Nobody mentioned the sound. Because yeah. generally speaking, people only ever say, well, the sound was really bad, I couldn't hear the words or yeah. whatever. So no comment is your pat on the back, really, I suppose. Yeah. Which, you know, could be better, but, <laughs> but I'll take it. <laughs> Excellent. I would love to go back to your, um, as well as just just kind of a progression. So having discovered, you know, what were the first shows that you worked on that you really you cut your teeth on? Yeah, well, I, w I went back to Cats as, and and was the oh, sound number one on that eventually. You, yeah, so that okay. so uh, Cats is a special place in my heart because it was my first ever show in the West End to work on, but it was also my first ever sound number one on a show. So wow. so that so that was cool. Um, I, I mixed shows in the West End for 12 years, 11, 12 years, I mm -hmm. think. So I did quite a few. Um, and I did two, two of my favorites were the transfers of um, Carousel and Oklahoma from the National Theatre into the West End. So they were great right. shows to work on. Big, lush scores with very big orchestras, but particularly with the size of orchestra we have now in the pit. You know, yeah. we, we had a lot of players in those, and, and it was a great, great experience to work on those. So. Which, which Oklahoma was it? Who was in uh, it? So is it Jack Lightman? And Hugh Jackman, who yes. went on to do all right for himself, yeah, actually. Yeah, this, this, oh, yeah. no, because I, I did see that one at the Nash. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and it was big. It was yeah. a, talk about big sound. That was a lush big sound. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was good fun to work on. So, so then you learn, your, you learn your skill mixing. No, I mean, not every sound designer has ever been a mixer. It's fair to say that's not always the path. Okay. But certainly was my path. I was a mixer for years. And, and I suppose my first love is still mixing. I still love to mix music. Yeah. Um, but, but uh, I went on to become an associate, do small designs for myself or take over as an associate designer for other established designers on successful shows. Right. And I spent 10, nearly 10 years, I think, as an associate sound designer on Mamma Mia as it, oh, was, wow. as it was doing okay. its global takeover. Push, yeah. You know, world's takeover. <laughs> um, and that was a fantastic experience. Um, obviously, I learned a lot, but also it was just an amazing sort of wonderful, out of control, successful train to be yeah. part of. Yeah, so. Well, it must have afforded you the, the, the opportunity to see how different each theater yeah. is yeah. and how it, you know, exactly. the frequencies bounce off walls differently yeah. and, and material, like the seats in this new Wimbledon theater will take in sound opposite, you know, completely differently than the Richmond theater. Indeed, will. indeed, yeah, absolutely. So, so that, and that's part, part of learning the skill as a sound designer is to look at the room and make some decisions about it when you're designing it. You know. yeah. uh, every theatre has its own different acoustics, as you said, and every theatre has its own uh, problems from an architectural point of view. Mm. Particularly the older theatres, um, beautiful as they are, they weren't designed to hang speakers up in on the pros, so there's nearly always 
boxes, seating boxes, sticking out exactly where you need to put speakers, etc. So, you know, and that's the same for lighting as well. Actually, quite a lot of lighting goes on the, on the, on the pros as well yeah. now, and we're all sort of fighting for real estate on the pros kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, it's it's a challenge, and, and certainly the more shows you do. Uh, you, you cut your teeth on that and make some mistakes and, and learn some valuable lessons. And mm. uh, yeah, so I was very lucky to do that. And I'd done a few other shows as an associate. I used to do some stuff for um, RUG. I did uh, yeah. Sunset Boulevard and Jesus Christ Superstar on tour for them. Um, and then, you know, you slowly start getting asked to design things mm. yourself. And so now, I suppose, I've been designing as an independent designer now for, mm, I don't know, uh, about 15 15, 16 years now. No, so you guys can't see Richard. He looks not old enough to have all this experience. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's just, it's just favorable lighting. <laughs> um, you talked about... Uh, th this is fascinating because I, I love how you've, you... We've just talked about going from designing for something in the National Team of the West and how does a designer go, this is the show, and then you've got something as, you know, that's on the stage as big as and open as the Olivier stage and then having to transfer it into the West End mm. on a different stage mm. that isn't as cavernous or whatever. You know, how do you start off with your design going, I'm going to have to have some sort of um, a plan that will allow me to have a, a similar sound in the next venue mm. as I do here? Well. Going back to what we were saying about the venue, the, the venue will dictate how you're going to deliver the sound in that space because obviously something like the Olivier, as you say, is a very particular, peculiar space where mm. it's massive and open, doesn't really have a proscenium arch in any way, shape no. or form. So actually as a space, um, not that I've ever designed anything there, but there's very few places to hang speakers where you want them to be. So therefore, you, it's, well, it's a bit of a compromise. You have to move stuff around the whole process so that the combination of all of those speakers will, will give you your image. Because, right. because with sound design, you don't really want the audience to be listening to the speakers. You want them to believe it's coming from the actors and the orchestra and whatever. So yeah. you know that's, that's achieved by, uh, without going into too much boring detail, it's, it's achieved by a, a mixture of location of speakers where you need them and then timing. So, so timing is a very important thing in sound, as it is in comedy, yeah. but different type of timing. So, <laughs> so this is, um, sound actually moves really, really slowly. This isn't going to turn into a physics. This is amazing. No, this, this is fascinating, because so I love this. In combination, if you, if, you, if, you, if you compare it to light, obviously light is, is yeah. it's lightning fast, but, but sound actually moves relatively slowly. So the, the old sort of demonstration of that is if you're watching a cricket match, mm -hmm. and you see the guy hit the ball, and then like, I don't know, half a second to a second later, you hear the sound yeah. of it. That's because it travels relatively slowly and obviously not as fast as the light. So you see it, but you don't hear it. Right. Um, so therefore, the human ear is very, very adept at, at spotting timing mistakes. And, and you would be surprised how accurate it is. But so when you, when you want to, uh, if you have a sound system with speakers all over the place, if, they're, if you don't time them together, then it will be quite a, a, an incoherent mess of, of very slight timing differences between them all, which will just turn into a bit of a cacophony and you'll get very strange frequencies sticking out right. or frequencies disappearing and so forth because of that timing push and pull. So the first thing you have to do is decide where your speakers go and then time them together. And then normally add some time to the actor's voice because the actor is maybe uh, like a couple of meters further upstage than the speakers are. Okay, so then in order to time all this together, so we're talking about milliseconds. Everything's that, yes, timed in milliseconds. Course, yeah. So, uh, millisecond, roughly speaking, uh, sound travels about a foot or oh, thirty centimeters as we are these days yeah. in in uh, in a millisecond. So, 
you know, roughly speaking, if you're sitting in the front row of the circle, which is 15 meters yeah. away from the stage, you know, that's gonna, gonna take about 45 to 50 milliseconds to reach you acoustically. Yeah. So if you don't make those changes in, in the sound system, then people will spot that, it will go wrong. And particularly, as um, I'm sure you're aware, we'll have delayed speakers in, in the rooms, yeah. further back in the room, which deliver clarity. Well, you don't want to pull focus to those. Yeah. You just want to make sure that people don't really know they're there, but they're delivering clarity, so they have to be timed back to the main system. Otherwise, you're gonna hear them first and then the system. So it's, you know, so there's, so there's sound, is, sound is tied in yeah. with timing very, very crucially, you know, so. I can probably guarantee that most people listening to this podcast would never have taken that in. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So you have had quite a, a fantastic amount of experience at this point. Has, has the timing of those things, now talking about it, has the design become easier with tools or has it become, because we, we cover this kind of in that, the plaza, yeah, plaza yeah. talk, but is it, has it become easier or, or can you actually get lost in a quagmire of new technology? I think there's, a, there's definitely a danger to, uh, you know, we're all interested in gadgets. Of course we are, you know, so look at the gadgets you have here to record exactly. us, you know. Yeah. Um, but, 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 you know, the, there is a danger to just going, oh, what, what's new? Let's get that, let's yeah. get that. Um, I'm a mixture of the two, so I like to know that, particularly these days, quite often the production period can be quite short, uh, which means you need to be able to achieve results quickly. So it's like anything, you need the right tools around you to know that, you know, that's the same if you're a chef yeah. or whatever, you need the right things around you to be able to guarantee getting a result quickly. So I tend not to change the basics that often. So. Um, I'll do, uh, but I will look at maybe a new reverb, or I, I will yeah. look at maybe this, but, but you also have to think, uh, in, and we did touch on this before as well, um, the, you have to play fair, I think, you know, there is, there is an industry out there which is the people who supply the sound equipment for the shows, mm -hmm. and they're a rental company, and um, it is simply not sustainable for rental companies to have to go and buy something new for yeah. every single designer every single time that comes out a new piece of kit comes out because the uh, rental that's paid weekly by the show doesn't represent that kind of you know that doesn't it can't, cannot support that kind of outlay so um i think there's a there's a <laughs> there's a whole bigger conversation maybe to go into about how sound lighting and video equipment is quite expensive stuff you yeah. know and, and obviously the more technology goes into it and the more it moves forward it's not going to get cheaper no. I mean, some things get cheaper but but it, but it basically um, I can only talk with any authority of the sound equipment so we'll stick on that for now but you okay. know it, it's it's very very high quality professional grade equipment so that yeah. doesn't come cheap no the R&D costs of any exactly. new technology yeah. has got to be recouped in a weekly Yes. Rental. So I think there are some advances in technology which have been absolutely incredible and have revolutionized what we do, not just for us, but for other departments as yeah. well. And so um, smaller radio mics, digital radio mics means we can have more radio mics within a, the same uh, bandwidth, yeah. which was becoming an issue because the government was selling off all of the frequencies that we were using mm. to digital TV, mobile phone, whatever. Um, and that's a consumer demand thing that, you yeah. know, um, so we were losing our frequencies and it was getting tougher and tougher and then the, the, the manufacturers, you know, all the big players, Shaw and uh, Sennheiser yeah. and Sony have, have well, there are others available, uh, <laughs> have all... Have all <laughs> Richard um, loves you all. <laughs> yes. Um, they've all 
come up now with a very small and fantastic sounding wireless system. Okay. So that's great for us. But it's also great for wardrobe and it's also great yeah. for the actors. And it's also great for the wig department because now quite often the, the main players in a show who play the, the main principal roles, we all put two radio mics on them because nowadays people don't expect failure, you know. So if, if, and obviously technology does fail yeah, occasionally or a microphone will fail because it gets some sweat in it, mm. you know, which, which can happen, particularly in the summer. So, so having two packs and two microphones on the actor means that we've got a backup to flip over to. Yeah. Um, but if those packs were large, that, that's quite a logistical yeah. issue for everyone involved, you know. Um, so nowadays the packs are smaller. They, you can put them in the wigs, inside the wigs or you. Or more comfortable to wear on the body or whatever, and they don't produce ugly bumps in the costumes, and especially if they're tight costumes yeah. or whatever. So, so yeah, so there's been some major advances which are absolutely worthwhile and worth buying into and, and almost weren't an option not to do, you know. Yeah. Um, but there are also interesting, very interesting ideas going on, and some of the manufacturers have brought out some fantastic speaker systems which approach the whole delivery of sound in a very different way. Now, that's very exciting for a sound geek like me. Yeah. But whether it's exciting enough for uh, a rental company to have to go and purchase this entire new stuff and yeah. the processing, and it's not just one manufacturer, it's quite a few manufacturers that are doing this thing. Um, um, you've probably heard of the term immersive sound, yes. which is you know, very, very in everything now. Yeah. Our audiences have become very different. And to answer your question, how has it changed things? You know, our audiences have become very different over the years. People now listen to their films in surround at home. Yeah. Even some people use computers which have sound systems that are in surround, or their PlayStation games, or their yeah. Xbox games. Or we, Again, you know, we, other I, games manufacturers are. Yes, available. exactly. Or yeah. my noise cancelling headphones. Noise cancelling you know, headphones. The, There's so much technology that people now not only love, but sort of expect. Yeah. So when they go and see anything live, they expect it to sound amazing. And, and as they should, they've paid for the ticket, it should sound amazing, and it should look amazing, etc., etc. But you also have a very lazy public now. No offence to anyone, but, mm. but people, you know, they, they'll sit on the TV and they'll pick up their remote and... Yeah. No, they won't sit on the TV. They'll sit on the <laughs> sofa and watch the TV <laughs> with a remote in their hand and they'll turn it up yeah. and they'll think... Uh, I can't quite hear that, I'll turn it off again. Yeah. And so what we're losing is an audience who are prepared to listen. So, you know, in the old days, people didn't used to wear microphones, yeah. and the audience used to watch and stand up and go, can't hear you. No, they didn't. They used to watch and they concentrate <laughs> and, and watch the show and be drawn in. Yeah. You know? And in order for people to buy into drama of any kind or buy into a character or an emotion, you need to draw them in. Okay, so... I fear, what I fear is that there's a drive to make everything too loud now. Yeah. And that comes from various places. It comes from, from the producers, it comes from the public. And if you're not careful and everything becomes very one, one level, the whole yeah. sort of show, there is no dynamic to it, no dynamic mm. journey, then all you do is sit back and let it wash over you. Yeah. So then you don't get pulled into the, yeah. the storyline and you don't care anymore. I like it when, obviously you need to make sure people can hear, but it's, it's, there's no harm sometimes if people have to sort of lean, lean forward in, yeah. and listen because and, and, it's an intimate moment. That, that's good. And in the same way, it's great when you knock them back in their seat with a huge show tune yeah. or whatever it is. And there's various reasons for it. As I say, I think it's certainly because people have just have that kind of lifestyle now. It's convenient. I don't want to try. You know, I don't need to try. I can just listen at home. 
But also, they now sell popcorn in theatres, they now sell sweets and crisps and, oh. and drinks and things. Yeah. Which I understand why from a financial point of view, but I all these things cause noise. <laughs> and it means that everything has to come up. You know, again, no disrespect to my colleagues in lighting, but yeah. every single light now has a fan in it because they're moving lights and stuff like that. The ambient noise, if you just... Nobody makes a sound and you just listen to a lighting rig, it's loud. Yeah. So everything has to come up above that really. So we're already much louder than we ever used to do shows. Right. And we're in danger of it all just becoming a bit too loud, oh, I think. And I'm not against loud shows. I think it's great. I do quite a lot of rock and pop type mm-hmm. shows myself, and they do need to be punchy and loud, but they still need to be dynamic. Yeah. And that's something I, in my yeah. designs, I campaign for all the time, is let's keep it a, yes. a, a dynamic journey so that people you know, people get drawn in and they feel the emotion, and then when the power comes, it's, wow, it's really yeah. exciting. Otherwise, it's just a bland yeah. evening out, you know. I totally agree. My son is, uh, he's going to go into sound. He loves sound. He's going to go into sound production. He's My going to university. Is. I know, I know. <laughs> I did say law. Jack, listen, listen, to, listen to Richard. Uh, but I, I said dynamics is key. Dynamics. If you mm. just have a wall of sound, people will, you run into it, and mm. they're no longer interested after a while. How... Um, just a couple more questions. Mm. Um, uh, how uh, soon do you like to come on to the process? Because you were just talking about where in the clothes you can put a pack or two packs, mm-hmm. um, what you can bring into the show because that's a production mm-hmm. call and mm-hmm. a producer call. Uh, also, what the director might have in store. Like, how soon, how crucial do you think it is? At, at what point do you have to come into yeah. uh, a show? So, normally, um, if there's such a thing as normally, I, you would be approached <laughs> about your availability and interest in a project. And if you are available and interested, then you quite often be invited to go and meet the director, which is great, because you can sit down and find out what kind of show it is they're trying to do. Now, obviously, if it's a, a classic, Roger Hammerstein classic, something that we all know, we kind of know what kind of show it's going to be. Mm. But if it's a brand new musical, then you know, at the point you get asked, you're not necessarily sure whether it's an upfront poppy sounding show or a very, very lightly reinforced, almost sort of faux acoustic sound that it yeah. was after. So it's nice to have that conversation with the director. Um, and the directors vary greatly. You know, some directors will say, um, have, have an, an enormous idea of what they want, lots and lots of things to say. And other people go, like, well, it's, I, I don't know, it's I just this, I just need you to make it sound nice. And, um, and so it varies how that, that meeting goes. Probably more key meetings after that are with the music department because that's where you know, music and sound are sort of, they aren't the same department, but they're very, very hand in hand, obviously, and uh, are very key to each other. And uh, so that relationship is, is extraordinarily important and, um, and is always a great relationship. Yeah. Always get on very well with, uh, with the music team. Um, so this is all happening it varies, but a good few months before you okay. would consider going into production. Yeah. The problem is it doesn't always happen before the set has been designed. And that's the, that's the wow. problem. Because, okay. you, because a set designer comes up with a, a glorious set, yeah. a clever set, and, you know, and they are amazing sets. Mm. I have no idea how they do it, how they turn some ideas into something that's physically on stage. But very few of them ever remember there's going to be speakers on the press. And so, quite often, they get quite upset that you want to put speakers on the pros. And of course, it's not optional to have yeah. speakers on the pros. So it would be nicer sometimes to go and be in the process at that stage. Yeah. So we go, well, let's put speakers on the pros, and then you can cover them up and put them behind gauze, and we don't ever have to see them. But let's let's do that first. Yeah. And some shows it does happen where you're in earlier, and you can be involved in those conversations. Sometimes you 
you get involved and it becomes a little bit more of a battle, a, a sort of a, I'm really sorry, but I do have to put speakers on the cross. Well, how are we going to do it and stuff? So, yeah. so it, can, it could be smoother. Yeah. And again, I think this comes back again to no, no, there's absolutely nothing malicious or dismissive of it. I think it's just a lot of people still don't really understand the, the, how key the sound positions yeah. are and so to it actually working. So, and, and I think I said this before, that where we met, I said to you, with theatre, it's very much considered to be a visual medium. So it, what you see, going to a night at the theatre is what you see, yeah. which is true. And there's a lot of visual mediums involved nowadays. Say so that quite a lot of design goes into video projection, yeah. which is astonishing. You can do amazing things. But none of that is going to impress anyone if you can't hear what's being said or you can't feel the music and stuff like that. And I think that that's something I would really implore the other departments and all my other colleagues who I respect massively in all those departments to just remember is that sound is not that irritating <laughs> other thing that has to happen. It's just as key to the whole yeah. show happening and making it as an experience for everyone. You sure. know? It's like if you were to go and watch a movie and, and couldn't hear any of the words or hear the music, you would go straight out and yeah. complain about it. Yeah. And, you know, and yet film couldn't be any more of a visual medium. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So of I course. think it's, it's just about... Uh, it's, it's not me moaning that I'm unfairly treated. Don't, yeah. don't get me wrong, I'm not. It's just, it's just, it would be so much easier for us and everyone else yeah. if we were brought in at that stage yeah. and just discussed it all, how yeah. it's going to work. So yes, well, there, there is definitely uh, uh, some work to be done, I think. Yeah. I think, you know, when I'm, when I'm filming and when the, when the sound uh, recorder says, you know, one more for sound, you always do one more for sound hmm. because it is crucial. You are, in fact, you can forgive a slightly out of focus shot. You know, you can forgive a slightly dim stage if you can't hear what's going on. You, there's a real disconnect. Yeah, and it just goes back to the timing. I'm, fine. I'm fascinated. I'm going to have to go do some research on the yeah. timing. Well, listen, yeah. I've been doing sound I think it's, for 30 years now. Yeah, and it's still fascinating. Yeah, I still learn something new, and I still find it absolutely ridiculous that that's yeah. just happened or that I can change the way something sounds literally with half a millisecond or something. Yeah, it's crazy, but it's, but it's fascinating. Well, I think we, I've got one more question for you, but I think we need to continue this discussion with a round table like we had before and, and get, you know, an actor and a mixer yeah, and a board up because fun, yeah. I, I really think there's a lot to kind of delve into here. Mm. Um, uh, you know, it, it, talking about the actors speaking to sound designers and yeah. how that whole process yeah, that, that, is. That relationship. That relationship be, should be key. Yeah, well, it could be a lot closer, certainly. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and probably should be. Yeah. But, uh, but tech time is always so limited. And, yeah. you know, and, you, and like you say, you've already moved past that point suddenly without even realizing it, and then it's hard to yeah. go back. And so well, there's, there's, one thing, there's one thing that was fascinating that we talked about at Plaza, and it was when we, and it was Siobhan Harrison, the actor that was there, she said, that and there was a story that you were relating where it was the diction wasn't coming through. Mm, it was not, mm. You know they couldn't. Can you just you know turn me up? And, and there was somebody in the audience said, "Yeah, we have a problem with the the, the actors. Mm. You know they're not being heard. Are they being not being heard because of the diction or because of the way that they're talking? Mm. In because there's a different way. When I know I'm mic'd, I have a different voice. Yeah, you know, yeah. uh, and I think that. Yeah, I think the, the, like be very the problem with microphones is that they don't ever improve diction. They actually make it worse. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, uh, or, or rather, they exaggerate any problems. Gotcha. So, um, so, yeah, if you're lazy with your diction or in the way, or if you're mumbling under your breath, which might seem appropriate at the time, 
it, it won't be solved by the microphone. Yeah. That's you know, you, you just you, let everybody hear that you're yeah. mumbling. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, just mumbling really loudly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a fascinating thing. If you think about what we do on a big scale musical, every actor has a microphone, some of them too. Every instrument in the pit has, has a microphone uh, or, or two, depending on what type of instruments they are. Um, so by the time we get to a, a normal sized musical, very quickly gets up to close to 100 inputs on, on a console. You know? yeah. So that's like mixing an enormous album live every night, if you like. So it's a, it's a lot to get done sometimes in the time we have, but it's, I guess that's a challenge is why we do it. A bit crazy, maybe. But yeah. Great. <laughs> last one, Richard, last yeah. one. Okay. If someone is, is interested, you mm -hmm. know, and someone young that's going, you know, I've always been fascinated by sound or I love toying with, or is a musician who goes, you know, I want to, I don't necessarily want to be a musician, but I mm -hmm. want to be involved in not just theater. You talk about immersive theater, which yeah, is much yeah. more live performance <clears throat> thing. What's a great jumping off point into, into this career? Okay. So uh, there's two things I would say is that um, when I first started out, there weren't so many courses available. Uh, in live sound. There was a lot of studio sound stuff, but not so much um, uh, live sound. So now there are. So there's some great courses. So the first thing you should do really is, is that you should do one of those courses. You know, places like Lippa do just right. fantastic work. Everybody that Lippa churn out of their sound course is amazing. I've, I've found so far they're great. Um, so, something, so that's your practical and your actual mm. sort of education type experience. But the thing you need to do is network and, and, and offer your services for free. Can mm. I come and help and meet you mm. guys? And, and I obviously don't want to be paid or, you know, while you're still a student. Yeah. It's really key to meet people. And, and one of the most important things about a sound mixer, certainly, is, uh, and probably anyone in the sound department, but communication is what we do. You know, sound is all about communication. Yep. So you need to make sure that you're an open person who can discuss things and, uh, and, you know, and have an open mind about how mm. to do things. So, but yeah, I would say if, they want, if someone wants to get into it, contact people, you know, find, you can all, these days you can find out how to get in touch with people yeah. very easy, okay, with the internet. So send an email saying, I'm in my last year at school, I really want to go into sound, I think, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, but I don't really know what to do. Yeah. And, and I see you're at this theater this week. Can I come down one evening and meet you and just ask you a couple of questions? Understand your times, you know, all that yeah. kind of thing. But yeah. uh, I, I, I respond to that. You know, I, yeah. I think people who've shown initiative immediately go to the top of the list of people who I'd be interested in using in the future. You know? 100%. So, so yeah, so I, there is no one way of getting into it. There's no sort of careers path that you have to take. But I think it's important now, people maybe don't take it quite seriously if you haven't done a course of some description. Yeah. So uh, yeah, in life sounds. So. Excellent. Well, Richard, thank you so much for your time. I know this is still a get-in happening uh, yeah. across the, the, the corridor there. I'm sure they haven't missed me in the slightest. <laughs> um, but let's, let's continue this discussion and let's do our roundtable. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. Point listen, thanks very much for asking me. This has been really interesting. A pleasure. Sound designer Richard Brooker there. Before I go, just a few housekeeping bits. If you're a theater professional, head on over to curtaincallonline.com and sign up for a free profile page. All you have to do is create an account with an email address, make up a cool password, and away you go. You can follow us on all the socials, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Curtain Call, and you can follow me at John Schwab. That's John with an H. We'd love to hear from you if you have any suggestions or feedback from the podcast. Get in touch with us via any of the social media platforms I just mentioned, or write to me personally at john at curtaincallonline.com. 
Also, if you guys are looking for a networking opportunity that comes along once a year, uh, where you can rub shoulders with producers and stage managers, directors, casting directors, you name it, basically anyone you uh, need to meet to put on a show, you need to go to tppsuperconference.com and get your tickets today. It's in New York, but it's a great time to go to New York. Uh, because it's just before Thanksgiving, you still find some good deals. November 16th and 17th, the Super Conference is on, and you should go. If you're a theater maker and you are creating, you will increase your tribe no end. Um, don't forget to use the code CURTAIN19, which is all uppercase, to get your discount. Book it. Make sure you find us when you're there. It just leaves me to say a huge thank you to Richard Brooker. You can find the video of the panel at Plaza, which we mentioned. That's the uh, Professional Lighting and Sound Association Trade Fair. Uh, we had a fascinating chat with a wide range of guests from designer to actor. And that's there on the Shure website. And I will put a link to that in the show notes. And speaking of the wonderful people over at Shure, I'd like to thank them for the new microphone I used this episode of Curtain Call. Uh, we used the MV88. Plugs right into your iPhone or Android. Works a treat. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, it was really great. Really, really great. Look forward to using it again. Thanks for listening to the Curtain Call Theater Podcast. And I will catch you all next week. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.